in it, and we are thankful for that. And this morning, uh, in a few moments, uh, we'll be in John chapter 4. If you would like to, uh, to get a little bit ahead, if you want to follow, read in your Bibles this morning, if not, uh, the, the scriptures that we're going to look at will be on the screen in front of you. I was a seminary student in a preaching class when one of my closest friends, then and now, uh, was, was delivering his sermon. As you can imagine in a, in a preaching course, you have opportunities throughout a semester to preach in front of classmates and professors and, and be kind of graded and evaluated. And so Tim was preaching one of his sermons, and he told a story that, uh, that I've never forgotten. And the story was about a college student by the name of um, Bill. Bill was a, um, what we might call a free spirit. Uh, he was, uh, through his four years of college, he basically wore the same outfit every day, which was old jeans, a little bit torn up, t-shirt, and as little amount of footwear as he could get away with. Often it was just thin sandals or th- flip-flops. He always looked like he'd just gotten out of bed, hair going in multiple directions. Uh, that was kind of his persona. That was who he was and, and kind of how people came to identify him. He was also a very shy young man and a very intelligent and a very bright young man. In the course of his time at the university, he started attending a, a college fellowship, a, a Christian fellowship group, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he became a Christian. And this was a new thing, a brand new thing for him. He'd never grown up in the church, had never really even attended church. But going to this evening fellowship group, he became a follower of Jesus. And as the college fellowship group met midweek in the evening, he decided he wanted to find a church to worship with on Sunday morning because that's what you do. You go to church on Sunday mornings. So he decided he would start with the closest church he knew, which was the church right across the street from the university. Here was the issue. This was a high steeple, high church. If, if you're familiar with that term, it was, it was a very, um, uh, they had a lot of liturgy, a, a lot of ritual. It was one of those churches with beautiful stained glass windows and the big stairs leading up to the front door and the columns in the front. And it was the kind of church that the, the, the attenders, the, the members, um, they, they dressed up on Sunday morning. Coats and ties, dresses and hats. It was that kind of a church. And that's not saying any negative or positive. That was who they are. Not quite who we are. Um, but a little, little more of that, that high church thing. And so that's where Bill decided to go to church. And so on a Sunday morning, he walks in shortly after worship had begun in his jeans and his t-shirt and his flip-flops and his wild hair. And he began to move down the center aisle to look for a place to sit. Now, kind of like us, the church was packed. And so as he moved down the aisle, he couldn't find a seat. So he kept getting closer and closer to the front. And as he did, he attracted more and more attention. He was not hard to spot how different he looked than everyone else. And eyeballs started to turn throughout the worship space as this young college student began to move closer to the front. When he got to the front row, there were no seats. 
and nobody had moved over to make room for him. So he did what a wild child college student would do, sat on the floor, (laughs) sat right front and center, right on the floor. This really got the attention of the congregation because you don't sit on the floor and worship. So they sat for a moment, kind of stunned, not sure what to do, and all of a sudden from the back of the room, one of the elders of the church, man in his 80s, well-respected, dignified, courtly, three-piece suit, walked with a cane, began to move down the center of the aisle toward this young man. And everybody held their breath because surely this young man was about to be put in his place. I mean, you couldn't blame him, right? I mean, you can't sit on the floor. And certainly this elder was going to set things right and make sure this young man knew how to properly behave in church. And so slowly everybody, including the pastor who was frozen up in the front, watched as this young man from behind him came this elder. And all of a sudden, with stunned silence, the congregation watched as this man looked down upon this college student, put down his cane, and he slowly started to walk his way down And in the next moment, he sat down on the floor next to Bell so that he wouldn't have to worship alone. Pastor got up and he said to his congregation, you will long forget the words that I speak, but what you have seen, you will always remember. What I speak, you will long forget, but what you have just seen, you will always remember. And I think about that story because it reminds me of a few things that we'll talk about this morning. But one is the power of the things that we do. You know this. And the power of the things that Jesus did. Jesus taught with his words and his sermons and his speech, and those are important words and truths that we often and rightfully spend a lot of time on. But I think some of the most powerful sermons Jesus gave, some of the most powerful lessons he taught were his lessons not just through his words but through what he did. And as we turn to John chapter 4 this morning, just a few verses, I want to focus on not so much the words, those are important, but the power of the action, because I think it's easy in our culture for us to miss this morning. So let's look at just the first few verses of John chapter 4. Now it begins at verse 5, but let me set the scene. Jesus is traveling south, and he's going from the, the area of Galilee, which is home for him, toward Jerusalem. Now in order to do this, you, you, you travel through what was the northern kingdom of Israel. The kingdom split many, many, many years before. And so there had been Judah, or there had been Israel, and there had been Judah. And as he's traveling south, he goes through Samaria. Now, here's the setup. Most of the time, you went around Samaria. You didn't go through Samaria. It was like the neighborhood you didn't drive through if you were good and faithful Jew. But Jesus goes through. 
And this is what we read, beginning at verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, help us to hear this morning, but not just the words. Help us to hear through actions, to see the example of Christ and the example that we are called to, who we are called to be as we follow Christ. Bless these moments. Empower them by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So again, so, so here we are. We're in this series now, Give It Up. And, and we've talked for the last couple weeks as we explore things in our lives in this season of Lent that, that I believe God calls us to give up, God calls us to let go of. We've talked about control. We've talked about expectations. In the weeks since we've had both of those sermons, I've had a number of people come up and say, wow, I think you were talking to me. And, and, and that's true because I think for most of us, we can identify areas of our lives where we try to hold on to control too tightly. I don't think that's hard for most of us. Even if you're not, as we talked about, a control freak, a lot of us have areas we want to control. A lot of us have areas in our lives where we place expectations on someone or on God. So those areas, I think, weren't difficult necessarily for us to self-identify. But this morning, we talk about one that may be a little more challenging. And that is the need to let go of a sense of superiority. See, we don't generally, I mean, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, yeah, my, my issue is I think I'm better than someone else. But I think sometimes our actions betray that. I think sometimes our thoughts betray that. I think sometimes our words betray that. And if we're honest, we have to begin to ask ourselves, are there areas in our lives where we are holding on to a sense of superiority? Because Jesus challenges us in that thinking. And he challenges us not just in the words that he speaks, but we see it so powerfully here in the actions that he takes. This is a movement of Christ that challenges the world's assumption that there's some, or our assumption, that there are some that are inherently superior to others. Now, I mentioned Jesus traveled through Samaria, which was not the common practice of the day. Normally, you would go around Samaria. I don't have time in, in, in these moments to, to kind of unpack the reason that there's kind of this bad blood between the Jewish people of Jesus' day and the Samaritans, the people of the southern kingdom and the people of the northern kingdom. But just know that there was bad blood there. And the, the Jews, as a... As a kind of a, a cultural identity looked down upon their northern brothers and sisters. They looked down upon the Samaritans. There's a reason Jesus tells a story called the parable of the good Samaritan. Because the Samaritans were not your heroes. They were seen as less than and, and unfaithful in so many ways. And it goes back to the split of Israel into the two kingdoms and, and, and their time in exile and, and intermarrying. There's just a lot of depth to it. All you need to know is they generally don't like each other and Jews think they are closer to God 
than the Samaritans are. So Jesus comes into the town, what is the, the, cap, the, the capital city of the northern kingdom. He comes into Samaria, and he immediately goes to the well because it's hot and he's thirsty. And he waits there so that he would have an opportunity to draw water. He probably didn't have that ability because he wouldn't have had what was necessary with him. So he waits. And the Samaritan woman comes to the well. And this is where Jesus does something that is completely unexpected by the standards and expectations of the day. Do you know what Jesus' scandalous behavior was? Yeah, He talked to her. He talked to the woman. In fact, you see that is her shock. That is what she says. How is it that you are asking me for something? You're Jewish and I'm a Samaritan. This is a woman that is used to being looked down upon by those who are Jewish. She's also a woman, as we'll know from the story, who's used to be being looked down by her own um, community because of her many marriages, because of her living situation right there. The, Jesus would go on to offer her living water. Jesus would go on to offer her the salvation through faith. She would go on to become a follower of Jesus. All of that is powerful parts of the story. But the most powerful moment is just the moment when Jesus does something that she's not expecting. He talks to her. And that doesn't sound like such a big deal, but for the day it would have, because a good Jewish man would have done one of two things. He either would have Turned and not looked. As soon as he saw her coming, he would have averted his eyes to not see her. Now, now pause for a moment. Ask yourself, who in your life do you not see? Because I fall into this trap. In fact, I'll tell you, I did it last night. I tell you, no matter how close I am to a sermon, I still fall into behaviors that are uh, sinful. And I'll tell you exactly where it happened. It happened at a red light coming back from Sarasota. Cassidy was in a, Cassidy was in a um, mock trial competition all day yesterday. So we're coming back. We're coming to the red light. And as we get stopped at the red light, on my left and on my right are men asking for money with the signs. And this is what I did. <laughs> didn't look left. Didn't look right. Didn't make eye contact. Didn't want to see them. Now, I'm not saying... You should give people money on the road. I think there's a lot of ways that we can help. My problem was I didn't want to see them. I didn't want to make eye contact with them. I didn't want them to know I was even going to acknowledge they were there because of the potential of me feeling guilty because I knew I wasn't going to offer them cash. I didn't see them. That's probably what they're used to because I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that does that. That's what the woman would have been used to. Or the second thing that Jesus would have done, or a good Jewish man would have done, is would have just gotten up and walked away. Would have just gotten and walked away. Jesus does neither. And instead, he initiates a conversation. And he does through his actions, similar to, I see this, this bridge between the story I told. What he does is he initiates a relationship. But in doing so, he communicates something to her that she's not used to hearing, especially from the men in her life. And that is, I see you and I value you. I see you and I value you. And in doing that, Jesus does what he does over and over again. He challenges societal norms. He challenges cultural expectations. Let me tell you what I mean. In the day in which Jesus lived... Most people believed in God or a God. 
If you remember some of your, your Roman history, the, the, the pantheon of gods, the polytheistic faith. There was a number of religions, but there was belief in, in higher powers or, or a god or a gods. But there was a hierarchy to creation. So at the very top of the hierarchy was the god or the gods. And sometimes they had their own hierarchy. Underneath that, in a semi-divine or sometimes even understood as divine, were the kings. If you know Egyptian culture, the pharaohs believed they were divine. They were direct descendants of the gods. So you had gods, kings, and then you had members of the court or nobility or priests, religious leaders. They would have been next. Then you'd had merchants and artisans. They'd have been the next room down. Then at the very bottom, you'd have had peasants and you'd have had slaves. But there was the idea that there was a class system. And that was common. And there was this dignity gap. Because if you're at the top, you're not going to be as comfortable associating as those at the bottom. If you're at the bottom, you're going to see those at the top in a different way. There was this gap between the classes, dignity gap. What Jesus does over and over is he bridges the dignity gap. He flattens the hierarchy. What Jesus does is he embodies what had been part of, of a Jewish tradition of understanding of creation. And this idea that there are not some that are created in the image of God. There are not some like the kings and the nobles who, are, who are closer to God. We are all created in the image of God. That there's no distinction. There's no one who is outside of that truth. All are created in the image of God. And so we're created with, with creativity. We're created with the ability to reason. We're created with the ability to communicate, the ability to invent John Ortberg says, man is a critter who can Twitter. <laughs> that we've come up with these ways to communicate because that's that, that, that dignity, that, that endowed image of God that, that we're created into. And Jesus kind of flattens this idea. He, he embodies this part of the tradition that had been lost. The Jewish people had lost that part of the, that truth, that, that understanding of who they were in fact See, look no further than verse 27. Later on in the story, when the disciples come back from their shopping trip, the first thing they say to Jesus is, why are you talking to her? And so there were these classes of people that even for the fishermen and the tax collectors, they thought were lesser than. And women fit. And you know what? Children fit. And yet Jesus over and over challenges that. Women take a place. Women are the first to proclaim the resurrection. And remember what Jesus does for children who were seen as having no value until they became adult, adult male. Remember what he said when the disciples fenced them off? Mm -mm. Let them come. For such belongs the kingdom of God. I mean, the scandal in the words, for such belongs the kingdom of God. John, uh, Jesus flattens this hierarchy. And in doing so, he challenges the societal norms of the day and lays the groundwork for an ethos that would become the, to what his church was called to embody. And we don't always do it, but so often we have. Embodied this idea that saw the value of all people. That's what Jesus did. In fact, it's interesting that about 400 years before Jesus was the great teacher and philosopher and ethicist Aristotle. And he is seen as, as one of the, the major influences in Western thought. 
He's called in some places the father of natural science, the father of political science. He wrote on all kinds of academic subjects and and morality and, and ethics. Yet Aristotle believed that slavery was part of the natural order. He believed that some were born to rule and some were born to be ruled. Some were born to have power, some were born to submit to power. He believed that was necessary for societal function. Okay? This great and influential thinker, about 1,700 years after Christ, another document was written by some influential people. It was called the Declaration of Independence. Remember how that sort of begins at the very be- or to the top? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we know they didn't fully embody the created equal part. Let's not gloss over the reality. But, but to give voice to that, this idea that, that, that all humanity is endowed with this dignity and worth by the creator. You go from Aristotle who believed slavery and and power were part of the natural order to this document that would frame our government that says that has been flattened out. And you ask yourself, what changed? I mean, 2,000 years is a long time, but, but what changed? And historians will tell you this is exactly what changed. It changed because of a people that took seriously embodying the way of Jesus, who took seriously embodying this, this ethic of Jesus that said all are valuable. All matter. All are important. And look to flatten this. And again, we don't do this right all the time. I, I wanna, I'm not glossing over the reality of our own sinfulness, but that we strive to be more like the one who saw worth and value in every person he ever laid his eyes on. We have to ask ourselves, who are the people that we, if we're just honest, we see as lesser than? Who are the people that if they were to walk into the church today, we'd give a little sideways glance? That can be based on ethnicity and faith. It can be based on the way they dress or behaviors. It can be based, uh uh-oh, politics. Now I hope you squirm because we do it and we have to learn to let it go because when we do two things happen we allow our sense of superior our pride to get in the way of our relationship with God remember Jesus uses an example in Luke chapter 18 he talks about the Pharisee that stands in the church as others are humbly confessing their sin and says thank you Lord that I'm not like them and what Jesus implies is he's not he's far further from God than they ever will be because of his pride. It gets in the way of our relationship with God. It also begins to get in the way of our relationship to others. If we are called to proclaim the gospel, if we're called to share God's love with all people, when we take on an air of superiority or better than, we close people off to the truth of Christ that we seek to embody and live because we're not embodying it and living it. And it begins to get in the way of the mission that we're called to. We need to learn to let it go. Because when we if we don't, we miss God. 
I remember sitting in a, in a staff meeting years ago, and not, the, not too many years ago, sadly. And um, one of the, the persons on the staff, of the church staff, in a church I worked at, was talking about her concern because they had a new young man who was volunteering with the youth. And she didn't think he should be volunteering with the youth because he had tattoos all up and down his arms and because he dressed a little rough. I wish I was making this up. This is honest truth. Fortunately, she didn't win the argument. And I spent time around this man. I spent time around this youth group. And I will tell you, he connected to some of those kids in ways that none of us could. God used him in so many powerful ways. But if we'd allow her and her sense of who's in and who's out to define the day, an opportunity would have been missed. What do we need to learn to let go? What air of superiority do we need to let go of to ask God to cleanse? You need to own it. You need to name it, confess it, and brothers and sisters, let it go. Because the scriptures teach us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not a few, all, you and me. And we're recipients of God's grace and love, not based on our worth, but on his love. So let go of the sense of superiority and let God take hold of us in a way that we can begin to live a life that exemplifies the ethic and love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, friends, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would take hold of our hearts and really allow us to, to see the truth that we don't often want to name about who we are and, and the way that we sometimes see others. Lord, help us to see more like Jesus value and worth and dignity men and women that are created in your image just as we are and to live in such a love that that our our actions give testimony to the faith that we proclaim we pray it in jesus holy name amen